the subject for the evening talk is beyond the storyline. Some months ago, I had a small book of poetry published, and some of the poems related to what I like to think of as insights in emerging out of spiritual life, other poems related to daily life incidents and social and political concerns and so forth. And one of these poems was called The Single Father. And one of my concerns as a parent, as a single father, is that sometimes there can be immense difficulty in uh, access to the children. I have heard over the years many painful and difficult accounts of this from, from fathers. And I wrote a, a poem about this, and some months later, somebody telephoned me at home and said to me, Christopher, I've just read this, uh, seen this uh, book of yours, and I've just read this poem, The Single Father, in which I refer to sometimes the, the rage and the rejection poisoning the, the air and the, the pain and the conflict that a father can experience at times in such a situation. And so the person, when uh, she rang, she said to me about this, she said, Christopher, I think you're incredibly brave to write uh, such a poem. I never knew that there was such conflict and turmoil between you and Gwenwyn, that's my daughter's mother who lives a few minutes' walk away. I said, hey, wait a minute, that poem's not about me. <laughs> and I think sometimes, to use it as a, a small... Uh, illustration that sometimes there are stories which events which take place or we hear of information and then from very little information that is given to us whatever the circumstances that they may arrive at in feeds very rapidly and very quickly a whole storyline so our, our life becomes a kind of strange blend with ourselves and with each other of a mixture of one person's story interfacing with another story. And it, and it pro produces a whole, sometimes a, 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 like a long essay of who somebody is and what somebody is like and what we are like. And we spend tremendous amount of our life of our life, remember, involved in stories. Life becomes a kind of story, a kind of ongoing saga in which you and I and others have their roles and their functions and in that, in that kind of collective soap opera, we think the reality of things, the truth of things, is somehow embedded exclusively in there. Perhaps it is, but one wonders how are we going to find it? 
What is the truth? Is the truth in our soap operas, in our collective stories? May just take the, the, the personal factor a little bit further here with you. Just before coming here, I was speaking to my mother on the phone, and she gave me a reminder which she has, has been doing, and your parents may be prone to doing the same. And the, remi the, the remind sometimes the reminder is, sums up as, you know, when are you going to get your life together? And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in this case, the, the reminder was that during, for some years, for about, a, actually, for just over a decade, from six, 1967 to 1977, I had the uh, immense pr privilege for an unbroken period of time of, uh, living out of England, and I spent this <laughs> period, if you've ever been, you know what I mean, and I spent this period of time uh, in the East, and, and some of that time, perhaps two-thirds of that time, uh, as, a, as a monk, and as a rather dutiful uh, son, I wrote quite regularly to my parents, and in fact more regularly than the other monks and nuns and I would write a letter about uh, every 10 days or two weeks max and I found out after some years that my uh, mother had, had in fact kept every single one of these letters obviously I didn't include in those letters the more juicy events of my travels but um, other things lots of things I I did include, and I sent home as well stacks of uh, diaries and poems and all those things that those of us, and as many of you know here, which one tends to have time to do when one is on the road. So all of this kind of found its way back to my parents' house over the, over the years. And my mother said to me that she, every year of this period of time of being away, when the year was complete, she put a rubber band around. And there is something in the region of 400 letters of more, which, is, which she has given to me, and, and which she gave to me in 1977. And they are actually at my home, and I have never, ever opened one of them. They have been stuck in a shoebox in the cupboard, and I just haven't got the effort and the energy to reach up and pull off the rubber band and see what the contents are. But as I say, with the kind of the personal story, line, my mother has said, why don't you write this story? Why don't you write about your travels? Why don't you write about being a monk? Why, 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 why? So, so, so this, has, in fact, has been going on for 15 years. Can you imagine? Like a mantra, since 1977. So in one of my more weaker moments last year, I said, well, maybe. <laughs> and just before I left, I got yet a further, a further re reminder. And my intention next year is at least to 
get the shoebox out and have a look at what's in there. So I say, in situations, there is a personal storyline of our life which goes on, which I don't think is of any significant consequence, re- really. That sounded like it when I just, what I just said, didn't it? And in, in that, we find that sometimes in the storyline of our life, there are kind of points in that story, we might say, where there have been or where there are collisions. It's as though we, the heart's wish and the, the wish of the life force, we might say, is for life to flow freely. We want our life to flow freely. We want the story of our life to flow freely. And we want it to be in such a way that it's not too disturbed by the vicissitudes of life, either coming to us or emerging from, outside, from inside of ourselves. We want life to flow freely. And yet we find there are these centers of reaction, there are these collision points. And it's as though in the experience of that, in the experience of suffering in our life, subtle or gross, it's an indicator, that, in, as it were, in the very nature to us that there is something we need to examine, we need to look at. And so the suffering is nature's way of making that communication to us. And in that, we sometimes, particularly in the culture of individualism, we have inherited the view too much and too frequently that we should be able to sort out all of our problems by ourselves. We say to ourselves, I should be able to see what's going on with me. I need to be, I should be able to uh, find the truth within which will make everything clear. And we see very, very practical and actual evidence for this. And so, as a result of these collision points, sometimes brief, short-lived and very painful, and sometimes having some continuity in time, we have found in our society that it has been necessary and, in fact, urgent in some cases for people to find the skills where collectively or on the one-to-one basis, the point of collision can be addressed. What is the suffering which is taking place in the storyline? Where is something, so to speak, going wrong? What is it that one isn't clear about? And so the feelings, the emotions, the intentions, the contents, the very flow that's going on with us, we sometimes we feel paralyzed. I just don't know what to do. I don't know what decision to make. How can I stop this? How can I get out of this? What way can I change this? And so there has been, and particularly in our generation, the necessary upsurge of a a growing range of different people with skills whose primary purpose in life is to address that collision point, that feature of pain. Sometimes, in that, we have used, and sometimes 
rather usefully and fruitfully as a vehicle, as a means for this language. That we have some trust and some faith that by exploring something, by looking, by talking about, by bringing the world of words to bear on a situation that the world of words, the language which we use, the language which we share, will be sufficient enough to dissolve that pain, that suffering, that conflict, and so that the rhythm of our life, the force of our life, can once again flow freely. And we have given a great deal of faith and trust to the power of language, to the power of communication as the primary device for healing the pains of life. Emotional pains, psychological pains, existential pains, issue pains. And it can be that we get into a kind of comfortable rhythm, perhaps we could say, of just talking about, talking along the lines of what's going on in my life. And sometimes, as we all know, that in just talking about, it does act temporarily as some kind of relief to the situation. And you and I and others feel some pressure in our life, and we know that we can go and talk with somebody, the skilled person, the close friend, the confident, whoever. The very act of that is helpful. It is helpful for what is said. It is helpful through what is heard. And we feel, perhaps only temporarily, but we feel better for the communication. And that's an important part of human dialogue, a vital part of human dialogue. But a concern, and my, one of my concerns would be, is it just sufficient to engage in dialogue with another human being to feel some comfort, some insights into the story that is taking place, some untangling of the knot which is there, if in a way we still end up, as it were, tied into the story. Would that be enough for life? Would it be enough for you and I to be living through our story, through the circumstances and events which know who we are, so to speak, unravel the difficulties get more comfortable and clear about that so that we can continue our life in a reasonably comfortable and satisfactory way without too much disturbance. And therefore, we might say, yes, my life is going, flowing along well. My life is okay and I'm taking care of my life and I'm in a happy cycle and rhythm with it. Would living with a contented story of one's life be enough? Somehow, I think not. Somehow, that the disturbances will be there and will keep keep arising because perhaps in a way we've put too much emphasis and too much focus on having it comfortable, 
too much focus on the personality structure fitting in well and easily with other people's personality structure and so that we feel comfortable with it. Sometimes it might be that too much emphasis in our day-to-day life, and I'm including here as day-to-day life as well, of course, too much emphasis on the content, too much emphasis on where I am going with my life and what I am doing at the present time and where I am going next and what that means to me, perhaps in some way or other, though that's useful, could be obscuring something which is more significant than this. And sometimes, when we say, I don't like this suffering, suffering, the statement of suffering in a simple way is an experience which one doesn't want. That is suffering. An experience which one says, I'd much rather be without this, I don't need this. This is called suffering. Sometimes we say, I don't want this, I don't need this, and therefore I'm using the resources around of another person, of a situation, or of a teaching to help pierce the way through that. But sometimes we can communicate. We can say to each other, I don't want this, I don't need this, but actually we haven't yet made up our mind. We're talking the right words, we're saying the right things, We're showing that we have got some intention to make a change, to do something about it. It all sounds nice. It helps us superficially to feel a little bit better that we do want to change. We don't want to go on living in this pain, whatever it is. But actually and honestly, we haven't yet decided. Sometimes it's very necessary and it is very appropriate to reflect on the past. To look at, to analyse, to investigate, to explore, to work sufficiently and clearly to understand what the past circumstances were, near past or distant past, that that are occurring in the story that makes one feel as one does today. And there's a very practical and useful application of listening to the past, learning from the past, inquiry into it to see what's the cause and effect from yesterday or yesteryear into today. And some of you here, of course, have much uh, experience of this in different ways of what that kind of reflection and looking back is all about. But I would still say, in all all of that, sometimes that can work very well, sometimes doing exactly the same thing and reflecting on the past can only reinforce the feeling of helplessness, only actually add substance to the feeling of being paralysed. 
of being the effect of what was. So whatever you and I give consideration to in our story of our life, to bring awareness to it so that what one is exploring may be certainly true, but let it be true, and as the Buddha said, true and useful. True and useful. Only you can decide that. So as they say, sometimes there is immense benefit, but sometimes, because of the very way of things in the story, something which can be immense benefit can be equally of uh, immense disturbance. And even so, with the past and with the, the present, still is the real, firm, clear intention that one finishes with the disturbance, ends the suffering. Is there the fire, the power, the determination, the conviction that this is possible, that one is seriously interested in this, and one is going to do everything in one's heart and soul to make it happen? If that is being mobilized in us, if, that is real, if there is real conviction for that, no suffering in this world can stay a light in the face of it. Nothing. Because there's a, because there's a, 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 as the Buddha said, a chandra, a, a passion, he says, there's a passion to put out this fire, this disturbance, this conflict, this uh, uh, contraction or whatever it might be. So we see the flow and the rhythm of our existence. We see the vitality and the necessity to explore the story, to, to see the ebb and flow of things, to notice the rise and the fall of the, of the pain and the difficult periods, to acknowledge with a humility, actually, that... It's not always that we can uh, produce the resolution to extinguish that suffering by our own resources. But equally, it's also equal foolishness and an equal uh, naivety when sometimes we then swing and we say, well, I can't do it, and then we generate a view and an opinion and sometimes a very... Uh, destructive and harmful one that somebody else will do it for me. And the teachings have said very precisely and very uh, sensitively that one extreme is reaching out and thinking someone else has got the truth and he or she is going to give it to me and is going to make all the difference to my life and the other extreme is going to oneself and saying, it's all in me, I've got to do it all by myself, nobody can do it for me. And the teachings have said it again and again, both is living in extremism. No matter what you hear, both are extremism, self and other.
One of the lovely things, we've talked a little bit about tiredness. Tiredness is also has its uh, usefulness, and I think one of its, perhaps its greatest usefulness, is the tiredness of the story. When we're feeling tired of the recycled story that's going on, this is a, a, a signal for liberation. So sometimes during the rhythm of the day, we've noticed some scenario which is the soap opera which has been playing, playing through. And sometimes one has the same relationship to it as, I don't know if it's the same for, your, for yourself, it, uh, uh, hope so, as watching television. Sometimes I find from, from, for my, myself that I find watching television mostly is as brings the feeling of a complete waste of my existence. This is <laughs> what I do. And if I may be so bold to say, watching television in America is an even greater waste of one's <laughs> existence. And just recently, there was the Olympic Games, which was, which was on. And I'm, I'm glad that these 100-meter runners can run uh, in 10 seconds or less, because that's just about the length of my attention span. <laughs> <laughs> and I think sometimes that same kind of response to... Uh, Television and the ongoing tragedy of, of television, of the addiction, of the extraordinary difficulty of human beings to remember that there is an off switch there, that children in our society are watching 24 hours or more per week. That's more than one day of their life every week is glued to the goggle box. And all the consequences, the short and long-term consequences, the stifling of creativity, it's, it's, a, it's a tragedy. And if there are AA programs, my God, there should be TA programs, television anonymous programs with an agreement that one won't turn the box on. Anyway, having just finished that commercial... So sometimes, in the looking at ourselves and the storyline which is taking place, that that st storyline, story sometimes we feel, I just want it to switch off. I don't need to continue in this. That there is something, even though it might be quite pleasurable, even though it might be quite in touch with what did take place, or what might take place, yet... At some point along that story, the feeling will arise of tiredness about being and indulging and being swept along, no matter how pleasant it might be. And something is indicating in that of something significant which is being missed, which is nothing to do with the story of one's life. And sometimes we notice with ourselves the... the edge of that. 
Story has its place. Language, communication, the interfacing has its place. And that tiredness moment comes in. There's a moment of quietitude and stillness. The, the set, internal set is switched off. And one is in a kind of abeyance. And that abeyance has some kind of authenticity about it. And that all that you and I and others may have done with our life may have achieved in our life, may not have achieved in our life, is somewhat irrelevant. What one has accomplished and what one hasn't accomplished isn't really connected to the real truth of life. And we get a, sometimes we get a sense of this authentically because the story has stopped and we've been willing to be in that abeyance. We might even say spiritual life, the journey of it, the realization of it, is at that point. And in that stream of the thinking which goes on, and all the associated projections and imaginations and fantasies and the conglomeration of that. Sometimes even right in the thick of it, there's some kind of inner voice which emerges from inside of us, from where we don't know. And how it was ever there, we are not sure, but it, that inner voice, as it were, dispels the story. Like the book suddenly closes on us. And we're left with a kind of silence. And we say to ourselves, and we say to each other, when we ask each other, who are you? What do you do? And for that, to make a statement, we have to bring in the story. We have to bring in the mind to give some information about ourselves. We have to bring in the world of, of language and communicate something. And sometimes when that just stops and there's just the silence, sometimes deep inside comes the question, who am I before the mind moves? Who am I before the story begins? And then there's the potential and the possibility for an utterly different sense of things. Is it possible for us to recognize and acknowledge the relativity of our so-called personal life? To recognize and to work skillfully with the everyday events of our life. Yet those events and what you and I are engaged in our life isn't able to overshadow that which is not the story, that which is there before the mind moves and before one's personal history and personal becoming enters into existence. 
the sages have frequently and beautifully and in poetic terms have frequently spoken of this dimension which has got no becoming to it. No I coming from here and arriving here and going on to there. None of that is at work in it. Sages have frequently spoken of that before the mind moves. That before the mind moves. Sometimes it's hard to see, difficult to understand. What is the significance of that, that it has such significance that it ends suffering? It's not a matter of having to work out a long history of the past. It's not a matter of being able to be wise and skillful in understanding all the nuances of our life and our living present and what we are doing with life. That some dimension, something which I referred in the guided meditation today is the nature of things in some mystical way takes care of it all. And one is humbled by this. That all our efforts is not really the heart of things. Not really the essence of spiritual life. So during our time here we observe, we witness mind taking birth. Mind being reborn into familiar situations. The mind enlivening and reappearing and modifying and adapting and changing. And all the thread of our so-called personal existence running through that. Because as we see that with the great bulk of our thinking, one thing seems to be for sure, that in the whole thread of that thinking, the I seems to be alive and well in it. It's an uncanny phenomena that the eye arises with such frequency that the whole dance of the world seems to revolve around me, around I. Sometimes we despair. The eye is in the center of the stage and consistently wants to be the queen bee, king bee, all the way through. I'm not sure sure whether despair is the best of responses. Perhaps it needs some humor. Sometimes a little cosmic humor about the eye might be more healthy and healing than too much fuss about the appearance of I in our thoughts, in our imaginations, in our projections, in our memories, in our plans or whatever. It just pops up. Appears for a while. Disappears. We go to sleep, mostly to give it relief. 
So this movement of becoming, this movement of the story appearing and disappearing, reappearing and disappearing. So as I say, sometimes that moment of tiredness with all of that, that stillness which shows itself, in which all of that is not at work, let's be touched with the stillness. Let's put our trust with the silence. Let's lose ourselves in that rather than in one's history, one's memory, one's events, one's circumstances. And perhaps the authenticity of that, the, the sublime nature of that, the presence of that will in some mystical, miraculous, unfathomable way put our life into a natural flow. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings abide with awareness. May all beings be touched by that which is other. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes together, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.